You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we will read two passages from Holy Scripture. First, from the New Testament, from Mark 1, verse 1 to 13. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah, the prophets, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight path for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now let us read Leviticus 16. In Mark 1, verse 12 and 13, which form our text, there we read that the Holy Spirit drove the Lord Jesus out into the desert. And that is also what we will read about in Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, when one of the two goats was sent out into the desert. So we read Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die because I appear in a cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. 
But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in a tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward a live goat. He has to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and a man shall release it in the desert. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and offal are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you on the tenth day of the seventh month. You must deny yourselves and not do any work whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest 
is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Brothers and sisters, text this afternoon is from Mark 1, verse 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Beloved brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the text which we read this afternoon speaks about the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Temptation, we can also read about that in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. But if you read Matthew and and Luke, then you will see that they both tell it with some different emphasis than Mark does. And that is what we will discover for much more if if we compare the books of Mark with the the book of Mark with the books of Matthew and, and Luke, and also the book of John. For books about the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that does not mean that we read four times the same in the Bible. They all describe the work of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth from a different perspective. Each book has its own character. Matthew, for instance, uses a lot of quotations from the Old Testament. Matthew is written mainly to show that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to bring a new gospel, but that he was the one about whom the Old Testament spoke. And then Luke gives a detailed account of what happened during the life of Christ on earth. Luke is the one who also wrote the book of Acts. And at the beginning of Acts, he writes about his former book, which he wrote about Jesus and all that he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And we get to know Luke as a kind of historian whose goal it is to give a detailed account of what happened and what the Lord Jesus did. Luke wrote more for the Greeks and the Romans and others from the Gentiles. John's book is more a philosophical book or doctrinal, if you if you want, and puts more emphasis on what Jesus said and taught than what he did. And today we will look at the book of Mark, and we will see that Mark, again, is completely different from the other books. The book of Mark speaks about the coming of the king and of the kingdom and that the time is near now. People should not wait, but be ready for the coming of the King, because the King, the Lord, will not delay. He is coming soon. This afternoon I proclaim to you the Word of God as it comes to us in our texts under this theme, the Lord Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies. In this, in the first place, he works with haste. In the second place, he brings salvation for his people. In the third place, he acts as king of heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus comes to fulfill the prophecies. First, he works with haste. The book of Mark is the shortest of all the four books. He doesn't give a detailed account. He doesn't give a long and detailed record of what the Lord Jesus taught. If we study the book of Mark a bit more thoroughly, then we will discover that the mark of Mark is the word immediately. 
It is quite unfortunate that in our translation, the one Greek word for immediately is translated in many different ways, or sometimes even left out, maybe for reasons of style. But with, with that, we have lost a bit of the sense of haste in the book of Mark. In the first chapter of Mark, the same Greek word for immediately is used many times. If you only look at chapter 1, then we find it in verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. In the Greek it says, immediately he saw heaven being torn open. In verse 12 again, at, at once, or immediately, the Spirit sent him out in the desert. Verse 18, at once they left their nets. Verse 20, without delay. And you see it more often in verse 21, 23, 28, 29, 30, 42, 43, several times. And there's no coincidence. And this continues throughout the book of Mark. It's not a weakness of Mark that he had a limited vocabulary that he uses the same words. No, it is on purpose that he does. And this is completely in line with the beginning of this book. Let's have a look at the first verses of Mark. It's very short and to the point, and right away gives us the character of the book. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Well, these verses right away at the beginning of his book, without introduction, they show that the king is coming and his messenger is going before him to warn everybody to be ready to receive this king. There is no time to delay. They all must hurry because the king will not wait. Now he is coming. Not tomorrow, now. And then Mark tells us about John the Baptist in verse 4. John is the messenger mentioned in the prophecy. And with the preaching of John, the way for the king was being prepared. And that preparation happened in the fact that the whole Judean country and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan. And then Mark tells us about the Lord Jesus, that he did come, and that he was also baptized by John. And Mark then tells about his baptism, how it happened, and about what happened thereafter, how he came up out of the water. The heaven was opened, and the Spirit came on him, and God spoke from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That is the official anointing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark doesn't say much about it here. It only tells, he only tells what happened. But after he first quoted the prophecies about Jesus as about the Lord, the King who is coming, then the reader will easily recognize in this the anointing of the King, the official appointment of the King. He is, in, in the Old Testament, when the king was anointed, uh, then with the anointing, two things usually happened. In the first place, it was an official declaration to God's people that this person who was being anointed is the one chosen and ordained by God to be king of his people. You see it with 
King Saul, for instance, you see it with David. You see it more often in the Old Testament that, that kings are anointed. They receive the anointing as an official appointment. In the second place, then, we also read that the person who was anointed also received the Holy Spirit, who gave him the gifts he needed to fulfill his task as king. Well, and those two things, that is exactly what happened here, and for the Israelites, who knew the Old Testament, it was quite clear that this was the anointing of Jesus as king. Now, the great day has come. The king is here. And that is the context of Mark in which we must see our text. And then immediately after this, then our text starts with the words, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Well, that is remarkable, those words. Spirit sent him out into the desert. Out into the wilderness. Why not to Jerusalem? That is a place where you would expect the king to go immediately after his anointing. But not so our Lord Jesus. The Spirit sent him out into the desert, into the opposite direction. Why? So verse 12 immediately raises lots of questions about this king. And to understand this, we must first look at the remarkable fact that happened before that, that the Lord Jesus was even baptized by John. Why? He didn't do any sin. The baptism of John is not yet, baptism was not yet the sign and the seal of the covenant. Now the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But the Lord Jesus did not need to repent after confessing his sins. Yet he wanted to be baptized. He had to be baptized. And that happened just before his anointing. Or even at the same time. His anointing and his baptism are very much related. And with his baptism, he shows that he is like his brothers in every respect. They came to be baptized, so did he. But what is even more important here, that is that his brothers and sisters, they came to be baptized with a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. They went into the water as a symbol of repentance. Their sins, their old sinful nature, that went into the water. It drowned in the water. And a new nature came up out of the water. That is repentance, the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature. That is what that baptism signifies. And the baptism of John the Baptist showed that forgiveness and repentance is not just forgetting the sins which Israel did. No, this baptism makes it clear that the sins had to be punished with death. The sinner had to go down and drown into the water, eternal death. And it is God's grace that the sinner did not remain in the water, that he did not punish the Israelites with his wrath, with eternal death. And our form for the baptism, as we heard it this morning, mentions the example of the Red Sea. How God in his anger drowned the Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea. But let his people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry grounds. And Israel was reminded of God's grace in many different ways, in their worship service and in other ways. And here I just want to mention the goats which had to be sent into the desert every year 
on the Day of Atonement. We read about that in Leviticus 16. And that served as a reminder for the Israelites as well. And this baptism of John the Baptist served as a reminder as well that they needed the forgiveness of sins. Let us go back again to what Mark says about Lord Jesus, that immediately after his baptism, the Spirit sent him out into the desert. The people came to John to repent and to be forgiven. And they went home, cleansed from their sins. They did not drown in the waters of God's wrath, but they received forgiveness and went down, went home again, cleansed from their sins. And now the Lord Jesus came to John. He was without sin. There was no need for repentance and forgiveness. And he went into the water, clean and perfect, without sin. But now he came up again, out of the water, carrying the sins of his people, which they left in the water of God's forgiveness. And with his baptism, he took upon himself the sins of his people, As we read in Leviticus, that happened with the goat. The Israelites put their sins on the goat. And the goat was sent into the desert. And now the Lord Jesus took uh, took the sins of the Israelites upon himself. And that meant that now immediately he had to be sent into the desert as well. And that is what the Holy Spirit did. As we read in the text, he sent him out into the desert at once. And this was the moment that he started his work as the Lamb of God, his official ordination. The Lamb of God who took upon himself the sins of the world. This was the moment that he was officially anointed as such. And then right away, after his anointing, he starts his work as Savior. The kingdom comes, not through a battle against the Romans, not with a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, His work as king begins with his battle against Satan, the arch enemy, in the desert. And that is what he is going to do in the desert, being tempted by Satan. The battle against Satan. And in the second place, we see that in this he brings salvation for his people. Verse 13 says that he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. We read in Leviticus 16 about the goat sent into the desert. And let us look at Leviticus 16 now and let us see exactly what happened. Israel was in a desert in those days and Leviticus 16 is about the Day of Atonement. There was one day in the year, the only day that the high priest could go into the tabernacle As we read in the beginning, Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses in the most holy place. No, God gives prescriptions when exactly and how exactly. He could only come there under certain conditions. Leviticus 16 then describes what had to be done and and how the high priest could enter the most holy place. He first had to make atonement for himself. We read about the bull which he had to slaughter and bring the blood into the most holy place, put it on the horns of the altar, sprinkle it seven times. 
and only after that he could serve as high priest for the people. First atonement for himself, then for the people. And then he shall slaughter the goats for the sin offering, and with this blood he will do the same as with the blood of the bull. And with that he will make atonement for the people. And then he also had to do the same with the altar before the most holy place. And then after that, we read in verse 20 and, and the following verse, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, after that he had to bring forward the, the other goat, the live goat, and he has to lay both hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the sins, all the wickedness, all the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, it says here, and put them on the goat's head. Well, you can imagine that is not something that just happened in, in a moment. No, it took time. It took preparation for Aaron to confess all the sins of the Israelites, all the ways in which they transgressed God's commandments. We are not used to that. Although in, in our form for the Lord's Supper, we have such a list which follows the order of the Ten Commandments, all who refuse to trust in the Lord alone or who serve Him in their own manner, all who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way. And in the same way, it follows the Ten Commandments throughout the whole list. And it might have been in a way like that, that Aaron confessed the sins of the Israelites. Although it is very well possible that, and likely even, that it was much more elaborated, much longer than we have in our form for the Lord's Supper. Now, we live in a society that everything has to be as short as possible and efficient, not repetitive, but for the Israelites, it was completely different. It didn't bother them if it took many words to say it, to confess their sins. And if you look at the Psalms, for instance, they usually use a lot of words to convey a message which we would summarize in a few sentences. And that's one of the greatest challenges for God's people in this time in which we live, that we are not used to taking time to meditate on God's Word, to meditate on His commandments, to remember and to confess our sins and repent. It all has to be quick nowadays. And if we can do it in one sentence, forgive us our sins, that is it. Why would we take more words? But that is not how it should be in, in our relationship with the Lord. The Day of Atonement was for the Israelites a very important day, and what happened on that day was a very impressive event. How Aaron, in the presence of the people, confesses all the sins of the people, a long list of sins, and then he puts these sins on the head of the goat. And then he shall send the goats away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for that task. Symbolically, the goat was sent away from the presence of God into the desert. Symbolically, he was given over to death out of the protection of the camp, the protection of God, given over to the enemy, to Satan. And when our Lord Jesus, in his baptism, took upon himself all the sins of God's people and he was sent out into the desert, then with that he came to fulfill the prophecy which came to the Israelites every year again in the ritual that took place on the Day of Atonement. 
goats on which all the sins of the Israelites were laid and which was sent into the wilderness. So the Lord Jesus went into the desert, away from God's people, given over to Satan. And there in the desert he stayed for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. But Satan was not able to tempt him, and then Satan left him for a certain time, as we can, can read in Matthew. And then later on, Jesus again went outside of Jerusalem and was crucified, and then again Satan attacked him with all his power. And there Satan was finally totally defeated. And here we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy. Jesus as the second Adam. Adam was tempted in paradise. Paradise was not a desert, no. It was the garden which was planted by God himself. And there Adam was tempted by Satan. Not for 40 days, but just a moment. And Adam did not resist Satan, but he gave in and listened to Satan And he forgot the word of God. The Lord Jesus is the second Adam. He came to do what Adam did not do, to resist Satan. And with that, he defeated Satan. Here, only for a while. Satan left him alone after these temptations. But Satan would come back later. God himself would give his son over to eternal death forsaken by God, and there Satan, with all his devils, in all his power again, would attack the Lord Jesus. Now that the Lord Jesus is in a desert to be tempted by Satan, that indicates that the great battle between the great king and the great enemy started. Now it started. Now it's going to a climax. This is the start of the most important period, the most important three or four years in the history of the entire world. These first verses, after the official anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ, they set a stage for the rest of the book of Mark. Until at the end, Mark can say in Mark 16, verse 20, that the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Mark presents him here as king, the king, who was promised in the prophecies in Isaiah. In quoting Isaiah 40, that's the beginning of the prophecies of Isaiah about the servant, Mark shows that the Lord Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the prophecy. But we should see also that the Lord Jesus not only was the promised king, but also the true seed of the woman. The seed of Genesis 3 verse 15, who would crush the head of Satan. The seed of Abram also, the servant who in Isaiah is addressed as Israel itself. He represents Israel when he goes his way of suffering and death, just like the goat represented Israel when it was sent into the desert. Now the Lord Jesus represents Israel when he is going his way of suffering and death. The 40 days in the desert is also a reference to the 40 years of Israel in the desert. Israel in the desert was a foreshadowing of the Lord and his work. And the Lord Jesus is also a fulfillment of the prophecy of that foreshadowing. It is important to see that in fulfilling these prophecies, he shows that he indeed came to save his people. He goes the way of Israel. He is the true seed of the woman in everything. He came in the place of his people. 
to suffer and to die in the place of his people, to save his people. And not only the people of God in those days, but all those who by faith belong to God's people, both in the Old Testament as well as in the time of the New Testament, that is the time in which we live. God made his covenant with his people, with Abraham and his seed, as an everlasting covenant. Through Jesus Christ, we can be and we are in that covenant with God. Christ fully fulfilled the obligation of the covenant, the perfect obedience. And now by faith, we receive his obedience and can live with God within the covenant. We can go to Jerusalem because Jesus went into the desert to face Satan. And because Jesus went into the desert of eternal death in our place and took away our sin and our guilt, we can enter eternal life. For us who live now, it is therefore important that we also repent from our sins and by doing so put our sins on him like in Leviticus 16, like in the baptism of John the Baptist. Also now, there should be repentance and confession of sin. Not just quickly in a few words at the end of a prayer. In the Old Testament, there was a special ritual for it, which had to remind the Israelites of the severity of their sins every year again. And also John the Baptist's baptism was a ritual which showed the people how important repentance was. Repentance in our life with sincere confession of sins. It is an indispensable part of the preparation for the coming of the Savior. He sends his word all over the earth and his word calls everyone to repent with confession of sins and prepare for the return of the King. Therefore, among God's people, there must be no complacency, brothers and sisters. There must be a living faith, which also means a real awareness of our sins. And with it also an asking for forgiveness. And then if we do so, then we may be sure that our sins are taken away from us. And we may live in the promised land. The Jews in the days of John the Baptist could return to Judea and Jerusalem. The Israelites in Leviticus 16 could live in a camp in the desert in God's presence and later on enter the promised land. We may live within the covenant of God with us in his presence. We are not sent away into the desert of eternal death, but we may live with God through Jesus Christ. And in the third place, we see that in this, Christ acts as king of heaven and earth. Then we read in our text that he was with the wild animals. And also there we see him as a second Adam. Adam ruled over all creatures in paradise. All creatures. All the animals. They had to serve men. There were no wild animals in paradise. No animals that killed. A man did not have to live in fear for lions tigers, bears, snakes, other dangerous animals. After the fall, that stopped. There was no peaceful life anymore. Man could no longer live together with the animals in peace anymore. 
And there were animals which became wild and dangerous. And again, we see the contrast with paradise here. Mark speaks about the wild animals. In paradise, man was king over the animals as God's image. Now there are many wild animals which kill human beings. But Jesus Christ was with the wild animals. He shows himself to them as the king. They obey him. They serve him. These are only a few words in our texts, but if you think about it, at the same time they are important words here in Mark. These words show that he is the promised king, the king of all creation. The prophecies of Isaiah about the wolf and the lamb that will feed together, the lion that will eat straw like the ox, these prophecies get their fulfillment here. It is the beginning, not a complete fulfillment yet, but here already Mark shows the goal of the work of this promised king, Jesus Christ. And then Mark also mentions that angels attended him. And all the three things mentioned here, he shows himself as the almighty king, first by resisting the temptation of Satan. He was and is powerful to resist Satan, the greatest enemy. As a great king, he begins his battle against the greatest enemy. And already from the beginning, it is clear that this enemy will not be able to overpower him. And then after that, in the second place, Mark tells us that he not only fights against the mightiest enemy, but also that this creation acknowledges him as king. The wild animals don't attack him, but he was with them, as it was in paradise, when there was no sin and man ruled over all the animals. Christ came to restore man in that position. And now in the third place, we read that angels attended him. So not only the earth, but also the angels in heaven acknowledge him as king, the king of all creation, the king of heaven and earth. He, the son of God, comes to make us God's children so that we will share in his glory and reign with him over all creatures in eternity. He came to take the place of Israel under God's wrath. He suffered God's wrath, and now he will take his people to be with him, now that he will receive eternal glory and will reign as king. He is working now, and we look forward to his return when we will be with him as well. Also now, brothers and sisters, we should know that the Lord will not delay. Also now, he works with haste. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We should not forget that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. What may seem for us to be a long time, it is not for him. He works in such a way that he will receive the greatest honor. And that is what we should remember always. It's all about God's honor. It's not in the first place about us. It is about the honor of God. And that is why God works the way he does. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. He does not delay the fulfillment of the prophecies. Also now, after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, that important word in Mark, immediately, or quickly, 
is indicative for the work of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom. And let us therefore use the time which we receive to confess our sins and to repent, to prepare for the coming of the kingdom and prepare the way for the Lord. Let us rejoice, because the Lord is king. The Lord will not delay. He who from heaven reigns will come on his great day. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.